Welcome to the Extra Podcast. This is episode number 256. Joining me around the table is Pastor Jeff. Hello. Pastor Kyle. Hey, Greg. A special guest with us. And the reason that we're actually having this podcast and recording it on a Friday afternoon where it's sunny out, but we're inside the bowels of the ship. That's right. His name's Joshua Harris. He is an author and a former pastor, and he's speaking at our men's conference this weekend, which is going to be actually tonight is when it's happening. But by the time you're listening to this, it's too late. You missed it. You missed out a good time. Josh did awesome. It was amazing. It was it changed my life. Hey, welcome here, Joshua. Thank you. Good to be with you guys. Should we call you Josh or Joshua? Josh is great. Okay. So, J- Joshua, J- you have... Jay J- Harris? Jay. Whoa, wait a minute. You guys have the same last name. Not only that. My dad's name is Greg. Whoa. So That's great. Was so it weird when Greg when I, picked you up? Then when I get an email from Greg Harris, I'm like, oh. There God. was a former pastor of our church named Greg Harris as well. Oh, is that right? right? I know. It's a little bit weird. Some people still... Do they call you, Greg? And do they contact you and say, is this the Greg Harris who used to be the executive pastor of Northview? When I started, yeah. Not oh, anymore. Okay. okay. But when I first started, yeah. So... Uh, Greg, stop making this whole thing about you. He, Josh was here. Okay. So also here in the room is um, our producer, the silent producer, Poochie. How's it going, man? So we call him Poochie uh, Simpsons, the Sim- you know the TV show? I do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not informed enough to know who Poochie is. No? Really? No. Oh, okay. Oh, we'll yeah. show you the video later. It's okay. good stuff. All right. So, uh, Josh, part of your story is that you uh, had a best-selling book at 21, right? Yeah, it was. I wrote it when I was twenty-one, mm-hmm. and then you were a pastor for ten years, a bunch of years, seventeen years, seventeen mm-hmm. years, and then you decided to go to seminary. Right. So a little backwards. I, I also remember watching a video a few years ago where you and another pastor were interviewing uh, Francis Chan when he <laughs> decided to leave the the pastorate to go do some other things. Yeah, left and, his church. Yeah, so it was part of the Gospel Coalition. And we were doing a series of interviews between our uh, coalition meetings. And we went in there. It's just ironic now, looking back on it, because of all that has gone on in my life and Mark Driscoll's life and so on. But um, Francis Chan had just announced that he was leaving the church that he'd led for all those years and, you know, wasn't quite clear what ministry was going to look like. And so I I haven't watched that for a long time. This makes me want to go back and, and watch it. But we were kind of like... We weren't supposed to talk about that, number one. We had this topic that was given to us, and Driscoll was just like, I'm not doing this topic. I'm going after hmm. Jan and asking him all these questions. And we sort of, I mean, I remember my, my own mindset was kind of like, oh, my gosh, like, you know, what are you doing? Why would you Why would you do this? And um, so we sort of put him on the hot seat, and we were kind of challenging him a little bit. But um, having walked through what I've walked through, I now have this this category for understanding uh, even though my situation wasn't exactly the same as, as Francis's, is just this category of, yeah, sometimes God calls you out of that. Mm. And um, there's not just one way to, mm. you know, do ministry and, and kind of map your own journey. So, so can, you, can you tell me the, just your upbringing? Did you grow up in the church? I did. Yeah, my parents uh, got saved kind of out of the Jesus movement yeah. and got married, and I, I came along real quickly after that. So. How many how many, kid, how many uh, brothers and sisters? I am the oldest of seven kids. Holy smokes. But um, there's, a, there's a big gap, so I was an only child for eight years, and my youngest brother is actually 25 years younger than me. Wow. So he's younger than my, my daughter. 
Right. So he's the uncle. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you were in that home. You grew up there happy in Jesus. Yeah. I was, um, I, I gave my life to Christ at a relatively young age. I was homeschooled. My dad was a big voice in the homeschool movement in the States back in the uh, 80s and 90s. And Which, your dad's name is Greg Harris. Exactly. Yeah. My, dad, yeah, my dad's name is Greg Harris with two G's on the end. That's the difference. Yeah, um, that's a bad way to spell it. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> so yeah, that's my my uh, my history was kind of one of um, growing up in the evangelical world and then the homeschool uh, subculture of the evangelical world. Right. And followed my dad into speaking at conferences. Started uh, publishing a, a magazine for homeschool teens. That's really where I started writing. Mm-hmm. And then out of that, uh, wrote I Kissed Dating Goodbye, which was mm-hmm. espousing. A, a viewpoint on dating. I'm sorry, I used the yeah, word dating. No. I don't want to. So he, he, you espoused a viewpoint. Obviously, on this guy has not done much research <laughs> for this interview. <laughs> no, somebody, did haven't. somebody brief him or at all? No, no, no. Like, uh, um, <laughs> but it's about uh, about the uh, oh, the word's escaping me. Help me now. Yeah, no, no. Courtship. So courtship. courtship. Thank courtship. you. Yeah. Well, I didn't use the word courtship in I Kiss Dating Goodbye, but in the homeschool movement. Um, the idea of courtship was very popular, which I rejected as a teenager and kind of rebelled against my parents trying mm-hmm. to encourage me to read Elizabeth Elliot's Passion and Purity yeah. and you know all this kind of stuff. So I had my girlfriend at the youth <laughs> group and basically as I was seeking to have a, a, you know, a passion for God, I was growing in that. The, th- the one thing that was like the big stumbling block in my life was the whole area of relationships and right. this relationship with this girl. And so when we broke up, it was like this, for me, it was a really significant moment of saying, I really want to live my life for God. And I realized now that I, I wasn't really loving this girl as a sister in Christ. I was being selfish. I was compromising her purity and my purity. And so I took a lot of those ideas about courtship and I wrote about it as a single person hmm. and tried to, in a sense, translate that to a broader audience in I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And the timing of that was just, it kind of hit in the midst of the True Love Waits right. movement and all the discussion that was taking place there. And basically what I was saying in the book is... What, what is True Love Waits just for the... In Canada, I don't yeah, know if it was as popular as True Love as Waits in the, in the 90s was this, this call to chastity and abstinence. Hmm. You know, don't have sex before marriage. True Love Waits for, you know, for marriage. And I was basically saying, you know, there's something more than just not having sex. We should be asking questions before that about how we're treating each other in these romantic relationships. And so really a a call to say you don't have to be in a relationship. And if you're not ready to pursue commitment, you shouldn't just be in a a bunch of serial romantic relationships. So, um, you know, actually... Greg and I were talking in the car about this because I'm at this this strange place in my own processing of that book hmm. where I've seen God use it to help people, but I've also, I think there's been enough time, now 20 years it hmm. will be, where I'm seeing negative consequences from that book. In other words, people coming to me and saying, Here, here's how your book messed up my life. Wow. Really? Or here's how it, it uh, so, even as I'm going to school at Regent. Yeah fellow students who are not antagonistic. They're just saying, yeah, this really created this environment that was really unhealthy for me. And so I'm sort of at this place of processing, okay, where was that good? Where was that bad? And how can I, how can I go back and What kind of things go on in your mind when you are processing that? I mean, I've got a couple of questions about, about the book as well, but like, uh, how do you, how do you process that? Well, you know, honestly, I feel like I'm just starting out. 
in some ways, I feel like I've been running from this for a long time. Number one, because for a long time, I, I didn't want to be just the dating guy. Yeah. So it's like, I don't want to keep talking about this. I have, you know, I, I want to write about theology. I want to write about the church. I want to do these other things. Um, so that was one thing. And then the other thing is, is when you, you know, when you write, and I'm, you know, you can understand this in ministry, you put so much of yourself into it. Mm. Uh, you begin to find identity in that. Yeah. And so when someone's coming and saying, you were trying to help, but actually you hurt me or you were unhelpful, right. there's this defensive response, you know, where you're like, I, I, I don't want to go there, right. you know? So I feel like God's kind of brought me to this place where um, I, I'm not sure just being humbled by my own mistakes in ministry and, and seeing the ways in which good intention ministry can still uh, harm people in different right. ways um, has brought me to a place where I realized, you know what, I really need to dig into this. I need to understand um, how it hurt or hindered or helped, you know, people, not just listen to the people saying, thanks for the book, but also listen to the people saying this was really negative. And, um, and then ask questions deeper than that of saying, okay, where, where was I in my, in my thinking about the Christian life, in my ways of processing things that, that shaped what I wrote? And um, I don't just want to be, you know, flippant with, oh, well, it wasn't a perfect book. I really want to dig into that and, and ask those deeper questions that I hope will be uh, helpful for me in kind of processing my own story, but then maybe help, helpful for other people. So, what, what were some of the things that people said that were unhelpful in the book? Like, what were some of the critiques, or when you said yeah. it made it unsafe or yeah. unhealthy? Well, again, I, I, I'm what I'm hoping to do in the next. Um, year or two. It's it's hard because being at school, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, take classes and do all that. But what I'm hoping to do is is really just start listening to people's stories and understanding that. Um, one of the things that I, that I have, I think, observed is that the people who are helped by the book are often people who have been involved in a lot of relationships, have maybe um, gotten hurt or hurt other people in significant ways. And the book actually comes to them and says, hey, you know what? You don't have to live like this. Right. Like you can be free to be single. Singleness can be a, a rich time in your life. And I've heard from a lot of those people saying, wow, this was life giving to me. This gave me a different perspective. This helped me to see the priority of, of loving others and so on. The people who I've consistently seen, who I feel like have, have communicated that they've been hurt by the book are people who someone else came and said, this is the way you need to do this. Yeah. So they, it wasn't so much what you were saying as, as those who were interpreting what well, you, you know, were saying. I, well, I don't even want to pass the, the buck in that. I'm not sure. I, that's what I think I need to really look into. But I do think it's it's people who um, either someone was, was saying this is kind of mm. the law or they read it and they took it on in that way right. where the suggestions and the practical aspects or, you know, that kind of thing became um, elevated to the level of, you know, right. God's God's word almost. Like, well, this is the way you do it. This is the book that we use, that kind of a thing. Right. And obviously, anytime we add to uh, God's commandments, whether someone's pushing that on us or we're just doing that ourselves, right. it, it's not going to lead to good fruit. But I don't, I don't sense that that was your intention. No, to, I, to add yeah, to the, his I commandments. It, was, it you definitely were just wasn't to, my intention, but but um, it's the way that some people took it. I, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's so it's so. Yeah, we all love for people to come and say, "If you do this, yeah, things will be better." You know, I mean, that's I think that's the the temptation in every you know 
sermon application or you're mm. teaching on marriage or parenting is a huge one, right? Everybody just tell me what to do so that my kids will turn out right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So I think that um, there's that kind of, of hope for a formula. And when, when you know. Mm. I think that's my point. I think yeah. that just as somebody who preaches regularly, I, this is a challenge that I face all the time. I would love to be able to sit in a room and to clarify with people how they're applying the things that I would be saying. And s- saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute, <laughs> mm-hmm. that that's not what I intended. Or uh, I think you're, I think you're principalizing th- that illustration that I'm using, and it was just an illustration mm-hmm. to kind of get you spur your thinking about this sort of thing, and and get you thinking about your circumstance a little bit. But it sounds, like, I mean, the book had a profound impact on a, on a number of people, which led to your, I, I assume, celebrity status among certain groups of people as an author. I'm just trying to figure out what does that do to a 21-year-old or 23? If I came along to you, or if we had a 21-year-old here, uh, Poochie over here, how old are you, 20, like, 2, 22, 23? Okay, you don't even know. <laughs> you don't even know. You changed <laughs> no, it halfway through. 23. Okay. Oh, 23. So 23. he's, he comes along to you and says, I've written this book. Yeah. Is this something, would you, would you advise him to hold on to that book for 10 years? <laughs> or would you say, you know, get it out there? Well, you know, it's so funny because I remember when I was writing the book and I was really uh, working to, you know, try to find a publisher and, and, and do this and so excited about it. I remember having a brief interaction with my former pastor uh, who made this kind of offhand comment. We were in an airport and he said, yeah, you know, I, I don't think people should write books before they're 40. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember being so like ticked off by that. Yeah. Like, come on, man. You know, like, why, why would you say that kind of a thing? Uh, but now, obviously, looking back, I realize, yeah, the, the consequence of um, ideas uh, can be difficult to anticipate, mm. especially when something becomes uh, wildly popular. You know, it's one thing if 10 people read something and maybe it's a little, you know, off in some way or it, it, can, be, it can be applied in an unhelpful way. But when you multiply that by millions, how do you how do you anticipate and quantify that? So, yeah. so yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think, again, I don't think, I don't like the idea of saying, yeah, once you're past 40, then you're just full of yeah, wisdom. You know you'll do, you know, great. I just think we all have to, uh, whether we're, we're speaking or teaching or writing, we have to recognize that tendency to give people formulas, that tendency to, um, appeal to people's desire not to have to live by faith and struggle with applying God's word to their own life and kind of day by day doing that and keep pushing them to the reality that, you know what, there'll be different expressions of God's truth and faithfulness will not look exactly the same way. And also I think another big thing, and this is where um, I I think this is a deeper issue, uh, even in the kind of the way that I viewed the Christian faith, but was just kind of this... um, saying because i've experienced this and it worked well for me then it must be right the way you know what i mean oh absolutely and and you have to it's almost like you have to work so hard to build the right bridges and to explain and and overemphasize the fact that mm. you know what you can still be faithful and it could look a little bit different for you i mean obviously there's certain issues where you know obedience to God's word is going to look the same in different circumstances. But there are so many other places where you can be faithful to the principle of what God's calling you to and express it in different ways. Yeah. And it tends to be the case. This is where legalism grows, right? When we end Mm -hmm. up taking the the application of the principle and we principalize that application, we end up saying that uh, this practice is what it means. Right. That this particular practice is the only one 
that is faithful. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about Bill Goddard and all, I mean, yeah. Gothard, sorry. But the basic life principles, that, that's yeah. really what ended up happening is that this is what the Bible says and then kind of take my books and stuff as an overlay on the actual practical implications, which yeah. is very much, you know, pharisaical in, the, in that mm-hmm. approach, right? Here's, here's, I know the law says this, but here's the actual law, the oral mm-hmm. law that we're going to lift on top of it and then tell you exactly each little way that you can obey this thing perfectly. Yeah. And the principles might be great. It's just that when they're principalized, or sorry, the applications might be great, but once they're principalized, yeah. it becomes a, a good, real challenge. That's a good way to state it, yeah. yeah. So um, you are uh, 20, how many? How old are you now? Sorry. 41. 41. Mm-hmm. So you are in your 20s. You become a pastor of a church when? So I, I went to a, a church called Covenant Life out in Maryland, outside of Washington, D.C., and uh, right about the time that the the book came out, I was working as an intern there. So I was there on staff as uh, an intern and then as a pastor for seven years and then stepped into the lead pastor role of that church. So I was a lead pastor there for 10 years. Did that did that move come as a bit of a shock to you? Or was it kind of expected? Were you being groomed for that role? I was being groomed for that role. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And, and being in that church was actually, you talk about the whole celebrity uh, issue, in many ways that was a really, I think, a safe place for me in the sense that I wasn't just out on the road doing conferences. I was in a local community. I was in a church. I was serving there. Right. And uh, that, was, that was good for me. Good. How many years were you there as the senior pastor? I was there uh, a little over 10 years. Okay. Yeah. Good ministry, right? Yeah. I'm grateful for the time that I got there. It was, it was good. And then you come to a point, like your story's kind of weird. I'm not going to lie to you. No, it is There's weird. not yeah. that many guys who've been in full-time ministry for 10 years mm-hmm. as, a, as a lead pastor of a large church who say, you know, I should go to seminary. <laughs> well, that's because they, they usually do it the right way and go, go to seminary first is the normal pattern. So, so yeah. I'm just interested to hear, like, what... Yeah. Was it, were you just sitting on your couch one day no, going, was, I'm, I'm just out. I got nothing else to say. I thought I was going to be there for the rest of my life. I mean, my my vision was like I wanted to be, you know, John Piper. I wanted to be one of those guys that's in one place for the whole time and serve there. Um, had a real sense of calling there, a real love for the, the people of that church. It's a wonderful, wonderful group of people. Um, so, no, I mean, there was a lot of pain in ministry and disillusionment. Um, with other people, with myself, uh, kind of with the way that I approached ministry um, that brought me to a place of saying, you know what, I think I need to step back and I need a season of time where I'm learning and I need to, I need to process things. I need to recalibrate in many ways. So I was, it was kind of a combination of being burnt out <laughs> in different ways, but then also recognizing that if I, if I try to keep pressing forward carrying the the weight of ministry in this large church especially in the the context of what had taken place um i felt like it wasn't going to do good to my soul it wasn't going to be good for my wife and my family and i think the thing that brought me to a place of peace about it was i realized you know what i actually think the church is going to be better served by someone coming in fresh that doesn't have all the baggage Mm. That's, that's coming from a different perspective, I actually came to the place of, of realizing that's going to be better for the church. Right. Yeah. So why'd you choose Regent? You're at Regent College here in Vancouver. Right. Yeah. Why'd you choose? There's a lot of seminaries, especially sure. down in your part of the, part of yeah. the world. Yeah. 
Well, you know what? Um, a really good friend of mine, um, he and his wife went to Regent, and they uh, really understood my story, kind of understood where I'd come from, the environment that I'd been in for you know my years as a pastor. And the way that they described Regent, I think really sold me on it mm. and came out here and visited and, and felt like, I mean, just Vancouver would be a, a, an incredible place for my kids to have a, you know, to live for several years. But I also just felt like it would be a space where I'd be interacting with people from many different denominational backgrounds. Um, and in many ways, I mean, Regent is a different stream of the body of Christ than the ones I had been swimming in. And yeah. so I was very purposeful in that. I knew I wasn't gonna necessarily agree with with everything, but I felt like that was, that was actually important, that I needed to, to be stretched in different ways. I needed to interact with people that were reading things and even applying things right. differently. Um, and that that was part of, I think, the, the recalibrating process for me of figuring out where God wants to place me and what he wants to, to do in me, right. so. And you've enjoyed it. It's been a good experience for really, you. Yeah, it's been really good. It's been hard. It's been one of the hardest years of, of, of my life, but uh, but also really good. Did you start this? This is your first year? Second. Yeah, I just um, I just started last September. Okay, good. Yeah. And you are in it for three? Four? Three? three. Uh, it's probably going to be, um, we're, we're going to be here either another full year or, or possibly stay a little bit longer, but we're, we're trying to figure that out. So good, and yeah. no pl- no plans for what happens afterwards. Like you have no de- yeah. no desire to go involved in any particular kind of ministry. You want to go back into the pulpit somewhere? You know, I really don't know. I mean, I think that's the kind of process of discernment that that we're in. Um, we were thinking about going down to Portland because my dad's there and yeah. my family's down there. But um, I know that I want to. I know that I want to be communicating um, to this generation. God's truth and mm. the gospel. Uh, I want to write more. That's something that I want to do. I I want to be I want to be connected and, and rooted in a local church. And if that involves some form of support, you know, for the whether that's on staff or not, I'm not sure. I don't have that clarity. Right. But um, I feel that that sense of calling to be seeking to communicate the gospel in yeah. different ways. So I think I'm just, I'm trying to figure out where my gifts fit and, and what God wants to do. But yeah, the, the, the elders at our church very kindly, you know, offered to me, well, we'll send you for a year, you know, and then you can come back, you yeah. know, that kind of thing. And I, I really felt like the church needed to move on, but I also felt like I actually need this season of uncertainty. Yeah. You know, I need the freedom to, to kind of be wide open to say, God, wherever you want to take us and however you want to position us. So, Josh, that's an interesting view. There's not, I mean, a lot of people would have, would hear that and be particularly uh, troubled is right. That's not the m- most of us living where we do in the Fraser Valley anyway, are trying our hardest not to be in a situation <laughs> where we say, Lord, whatever you want. <laughs> like we're, we're <laughs> We, we're trying to well, get. That's why we have insurance. Yeah, that's that's the, why we buy. Oh, that's yeah. That's the heart of suburbia is to try to control right as much of your well, environment I mean, as possible. Now having now having done it, I understand why people don't do it. Because right. Because it, it is a it is incredibly disruptive. It's stressful. Um, you know, it's it's hard. Definitely. And yet, and yet, I'm assuming that there are blessings that are coming out of it that you would yeah. not have seen otherwise mm-hmm. had you not thrust yourself into this very awkward position. Yeah, definitely. Well, even, you know, what we were talking about with going back and reevaluating I Kiss Dating Goodbye mm. and being willing to, in a sense, I mean, this is like overly dramatic, but, you know, this 
book is like my baby. You know what I mean? And so I kind of feel like I'm putting it on the altar, my Isaac moment, yeah. if you will, to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to stop holding on to this. I want to be willing to ask these questions about what the real effect of what I've written has been on people. I think this this atmosphere that I'm in where I'm not trying to just hold on to a position or whatever has allowed me to get to that place. Mm. So that's been hard, but I, I think that's actually been really, really healthy. Yeah, that's great. I'm asking you all the questions. These two other guys are just totally freeloading. Do you see that? <laughs> you see what's going on here, don't I'm, you? Oh, I know freeloading. Well, they're, they're sitting on the on the boat while I'm driving it. You and I wow. are driving this boat. <laughs> I had to drive him back from his place Oh, so you So your work's done. So I've already done some driving. Also, I, I drove poorly. I missed a pretty significant turn when we were talking about stuff. Siri like, got us back on I track. Right yeah. past Rupert. Rupert. Oh, yeah. Just blew past it. Didn't matter. Yeah. Do you live so, on? Yeah. You don't live on campus. No. No, you no. don't. But I'm, you like I'm it. About, I, mean, I imagine about you live twenty minutes away on, by bus. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Regent's a nice area. You've seen that, right? It's beautiful. Yeah. 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 I love it's it. Not too bad. No. Not too yeah. bad at all. I've decided that I'd like to live in s- near Spanish banks. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so if there's anybody out there who's got a home that they want to give, and when I say give, I actually mean the word give to yeah. me. <laughs> Not just a deal. No, no, no. Does he no, throw stuff like this at every podcast? I don't want a little bit of it. That's not usually so how story, we use this podcast for. A little story. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, when I first started preaching here, I stood up in front of the, in the pulpit and I, and I was making some, some joke about how I don't, I can't, I can't build anything. I like, I'm horrible with any kind of like fix it stuff. I look right. at, I look at, look at broken things in my house and I think, oh, I don't. I can't do that. There's nothing I can do about it. So I usually have three people. I call my father-in-law is one of them. And so he comes up and he fixes this stuff. So I was telling people about that. I don't even have a good hammer. I said, I don't. I have this cruddy old hammer. So the next week, I came to. I came and I sat down where I sit in the church, and there's a a bag with this awesome hammer in it. Wow. So I'm like, this is great. So the next week, I st- that week, like as soon as I stood up, I parked the bag with me. I said, you see what happened? I mentioned the thing for the. I can't build anything. Guy gives me a hammer. So I just want you to know that I really like BMW. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so joke, right? No, no joke. The next week, there's a guy who comes to me in the hallway, and he no. says, "Come back here, come back here." He's an Eastern European guy. Come back here, and he walks out the back. He says, "You." It was like a early '90s BMW. You, you have this car. You oh have this my car. gosh, I've read about pastors like so. You. <laughs> this is. This is what I do. <laughs> that's great. So that's a that, that's an interesting segue to the. I mean, that's a little. It's, it's a microcosm of the celebrity pastor yeah, totally. <laughs> issue, right? <laughs> of the idea that that there are are pastors out there who who people will just follow yeah. religiously and do exactly what they they say. You were want, or earlier before we were recording, Jeff. You were saying you want to ask some questions about the celebrity culture piece. Well, no, you've been kind of in the, in the, so the Gospel Coalition starts mm. and you're asked to be on the Gospel Coalition's council. Right. Uh, you're a young guy when this happens. I mean, they started, what, 2007 or whatever? 2009? Yeah, it was a I couple years after they started. I think I, I jumped in. I'm so not, yeah. you, here you are, you're rubbing shoulders with, with very well-known, especially in the advent of podcasting and all that kind of stuff. You're, mm. you know, they just from the outsider's point of view, the same people preaching at the conferences every few years. Right. And yeah. Great men, by the way, just mm-hmm. love, love them to death. We have a lot of regard and esteem awesome for guys. them. Yeah, but definitely. at the same time, outside of their control is this, is this celebrity world that create, you know, mm-hmm. 
John Piper walk down the hallway. I've been at the Evangelical Theological Society where John Piper is just walking down the hallway and there are people like, they're little, there's a little gaggle yeah, that, that of was me. people behind yeah. him. Kyle like, was first, <laughs> I was first in line. But and, and that's not his fault. Sure. And yeah. it's but when fault. you watch it, you see it, yeah. you, you're like, hmm, that's just odd mm-hmm. as Christians, you know? Yeah. In in First Corinthians, the <laughs> Sure. Just the way that we we think about some of the some some of the way that Paul avoided all of that deliberately didn't want to be seen right. as a sophist went out of his way. Mm. Um, I'm just wondering what your what your reflections at all about if you've thought much mm. about it. I'm not. I don't want to come off as sounding like I'm blaming anyone for yeah. it. It's just sort of kind of the it, to me. It's a bit of a syncretism between the entertainment culture in in the West and the Christian church, especially in the U.S. because the U.S. Uh, it, you can be famous and be a pastor. Mm-hmm. Here in Canada, that just doesn't happen. You're not going to be famous and be yeah, a pastor. Different culture there, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, on one level, I think we've all experienced this. You know, we read a book or we, we listen to someone's sermon. God uses that in a significant way. You know, there's there's life change. There's encouragement. And so, you know, you see that person and, and there's this gratefulness, this desire to... Um, express that and communicate that, which I think is a is a wonderful yeah, thing, you know. But um, definitely, I don't think uh, those of us who are Christians in the West, especially America, <laughs> realize how much we've been shaped by our consumer culture mm. and our celebrity culture. It's just the air we breathe. Yeah. So I think it's mm. it's this huge blind spot that future generations will probably be able to look back on and be like, you know, what were they thinking? Their affluence, their consumerism, their their you know the celebrity cult, and so on. So I don't even I don't even um, think I identify all the ways that, that shapes the way that that I think. Um, what you know? What do you do in response to that? Do you do you shut down ministry? Do you you know do these different things? I, I think that um, I think that's what's most important is just to keep encouraging people to um, be involved in their local church, yeah. to love and support and express their their faith in uh, in community, uh, to support the the people that are ministering to them locally and their brothers and sisters in Christ. There, I also also think we need to recognize that you know I, I think the publishing world plays a big part in this. There there there's all kinds of ways in which there's there's money involved in in lifting up certain people right. and people benefiting from that. And I don't think that's necessarily the pastors themselves no. all the time. Now there are, I think different branches sure. of the church where that kind of um, celebrity is really encouraged and really um, lifted up. But I think we all have to take responsibility because um, you know, even in churches that are like, if the church is doing well and the pastor is like, everybody loves his preaching and all those kinds of things. I think we have to, we have to ask the question, where are we finding our sense of identity and security? Right. And that's not just on the pastor, like, oh, well, he shouldn't be writing books or he shouldn't be famous. It's like, no, are you are you kind of getting this sense of, yeah, I'm a part of this church and our pastor's this, and he, yeah. he hangs out with this guy and he's done this, and, and that makes me feel better because I have a sense of being connected to someone who mm-hmm. is respected or I'm a part of this tribe or whatever that might be. So I, I think ultimately we've got to just keep coming back to identity and security in the gospel yeah. and in our, our union with Christ, yeah. and that's that's hard for us. Mm-hmm. We do... Uh, we have an internship program here, and uh, and we part of our internship program is giving people theological questionnaires. We have a series of questions on them, and at the at the end of that, 
not just for that internship program for prospective elders or anybody we're really Mm -hmm. trying to get to know their theology and kind of where they're from that's good one of the questions that we ask at the very end of the sheet is what uh uh, who are your favorite speakers and authors Mm -hmm. what's always interesting to me about it is um it's a good question because it gets you to understand where what they're listening to and the kinds of influences that are are in, in their lives at the moment what i find interesting is Hmm. Except for maybe one, ex- one example, uh, the local church pastor is not mentioned wow. in that answer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> so what you've got is you've got a bunch of people who are saying, um, "Well, Matt Chandler's the guy. Josh right. Harris is the guy," or no, not to put you in that, but like, just those those are the guys I listen to. These are the John Piper's the guy and stuff. Right. Not you know hmm. Greg Harris. And I just I find that interesting, and I think that there needs to probably be something. So I'm just I'm I'm reflecting on what you said in the middle of your comment about how the local church really we need to really be involved in our local churches mm-hmm. and really valuing what's going on in local churches. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's probably a really good place to start is for people to start looking at the pastor that they've mm-hmm. got and reflecting on him and uh, and giving praise, mm-hmm. right, and prayer and encouragement. And that sort of thing, not necessarily stopping listening to the Pipers and the others mm. in the world, which are a great benefit and stuff, but really recognizing that, yeah, those things are ancillary. The thing that we're mm-hmm. really called to do is to to, to um, lean into this local body of people mm. and see God move here. Mm. Yeah, that's so. good. I think somebody should write a book like Stop Dating the Church that really addresses that. Man, that's a great title. Hey, have you? Have you heard? Have you had people make like poke jokes at the title of your book before? That is an actual book I wrote. Did you know that? Of I stopped dating the church. I you didn't know, know that. Kyle I'm is the serious. only guy can I here. Just know, I no, no, he's not. Can I just only... stop for a second and just say, <laughs> Sorry, Kyle's I... the only guy here that even knows anything about my book. No, that's he true. Actually, I knew that that was your book. He has I was book. just sitting here thinking how wonderful how sly Kyle was I with feel, that piece of wit. Sorry, guys. Like I, such a whatever the opposite of a celebrity pastor is, that's I, what I feel like Well, what right you now. did is you dug down deep. I haven't read your books. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was intrigued by the storyline of you going uh, to region and you were local. So no, I've you heard come. every possible joke you can imagine about Ike stating goodbye. I, I, um, can we, I, okay, we're just going to put it out to the podcast listener. If you're listening and you've got a joke about Ike stating goodbye, could you <laughs> send you. it in? Because well, I, I doubt very much that Joshua Harris has heard all the jokes. You know what? I'll we'll look through them. I'll email you off like the top three that Thank we you. think. That okay, and then you can judge whether or not if anyone's you've actually heard those yeah. ones. Okay. And will you let us know if any of them are new? Yeah, sure, definitely. Are you gonna good. try? You gonna are you gonna just delete the email when we send it to you? Yeah, you can't because it's from Greg Harris. Who? I'm just kidding. What if you it's could be from my dad? dad. <laughs> you don't want to delete any of those. No, I will definitely. I will. I will definitely look at it. But I, I really have heard every every possible joke. Ooh, that's that sounds like you just threw down a gauntlet. That's a challenge Man, for the listeners. Yeah, that's good. Hey, we have a copy of this book. Kyle, is this your copy? No, we we got it. It was given gifted to our library. It's, yeah, it says Horbin in it. Yep, <laughs> that's not your name. So did you give? Did you give us the? You gave us a used book. No, I, no, he didn't. Know. Oh, Kyle, 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 gave, Kyle gave us a used book. No, no, no. You brought a pen though, because you wanted him to sign it, right? Yeah. Uh, after talking about celebrity pastors, I'm not signing a book. <laughs> <laughs> hey, okay, I'm just a lowly brother. I thought brother that was a good Christ. segue. But could you? Yeah. I got a, my Bible's here. Can you sign? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that wasn't like a. That wasn't a test. I wasn't uh, trying to like. Yeah, I'm not falling for that. All right. That a boy. Wow. <laughs> Do you know there's a guy who's usually on our podcast who signs his own books all the time? He he's yeah he self publishes them then too. Just so you know, I'm not against signing books. I do it 
but just not Attaboy. not in this moment. It just, <laughs> just doesn't, doesn't kinda, seem right. Doesn't seem right <laughs> after all that stuff I said. Good on you. <laughs> hey, uh, you've been a good sport. I, I, we didn't have a big agenda of what we wanted to cover in this. We just kind of wanted to hear a little bit about your story and uh, get to know you a bit. So, did you, do you have more questions no, you wanted to no, ask him? I, I could talk to Joshua for all day. But, well, one uh, thing I want to say, your listeners can't understand this, but I have this this like massive beard that looks yep. like a squirrel has taken over my face. And the reason for that is that I made this this commitment that I would do 40 YouTube videos before I could cut my beard. Really? Yeah. So I just How wanted to explain that. Are you on that's, the, why I'm, that's why I have the camera in here and I'm, I'm videotaping you guys. You're doing, you're, you're doing desperate on my, <laughs> you're going to be on my next you, YouTube video. Did you just video. take the camera with you now, wherever you go? He does. Where you're driving? Yeah. This will be on my, my wife, YouTube video. My wife is like, Make another video. Hurry up. Totally. This point is. Do they have to have a certain number of views or just you gotta post no, it? No, no. This is me sleeping. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I did boy. I did a really stupid one and someone's like, Well this shouldn't count and I'm like, Don't tell me what counts. <laughs> totally. It's a video. My face is hot. <laughs> My face is <laughs> It's summer. Uh Man, Lord bless you for being, not just for being here and all this stuff that you're doing. We're just so thrilled that you're here for to serve us this weekend and Thanks, also really pleased that the Lord's doing some great work in your life personally at mm-hmm. Regent and we're sure that the future is going to be really bright. The Lord's going to use you in great ways and we're just pleased to know that we even, even meet you. So Thank you, man. This yeah. has been a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. Run!